Have you ever dreamed of one day owning your own business, but just don't know where to begin? Then you've tuned into the right show. On All Things Franchising, you will hear from top national franchisers, successful franchisees, attorneys, CPAs, and others who support this fast-growing business model. So grab a cup of coffee and pen and notepad because you will want to capture the invaluable information you hear on today's show. And now, here is your host, Linda Ballesteros. Hey folks, this is Linda Ballesteros. Welcome to All Things Franchising. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today. You know, I'm always um, honored when someone carves some time out of their busy day to spend with me. So today we're going to be talking about the co-work space. Um, That's becoming more and more popular. And just in case you're listening to the recording, this is September the 18th, 2020. So I think you kind of know what 2020 delivered to us. Uh, So I recently read an article that went like this. One of the latest trends today is co-working. This hot new trend is changing the way work is done, and co-working statistics show that these types of offices now take up to a whopping 27 million square feet of office space across the U.S., It went on to say that 38% of employees working in co-work space have been with the company for about five years. 50% of large companies are projected to have a co-working space this year, and that, again, is in 2020. So my guest today is Jason Anderson. He is the president of VentureX which is a unique co-working space. He made both the Forbes 30 under 30 and the Realtors 30 under 30. Um, VentureX actually sees that co-working spaces increased the success of those businesses while creating a social experience young entrepreneurs desire. So help me in welcoming Jason to the show. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks, Linda, for that intro. Absolutely. You know, um, here we are in 2020, and I think that a lot of companies are are really leaning more towards the co-working space. And, you know, in fact, I was just watching TV a few minutes ago, and they, they were doing a Zoom session. And there were all these bloopers where the kids were running in the background, the dogs. So these co-working spaces are great for the person that wants to work from home, but they just their home setting is not conducive. Before we get into that, Jason, talk to us a little bit about how you got into franchising. Sure, and, and you're right, 2020 has been uh, a very unique year, and this is actually me living through my second pandemic, uh, starting back with, I was in the military back in 2000 at the age of 17. I joined the Air Force when I was 17 years old as the youngest of 10, and I was actually stationed in the UK during mad cow disease, so I had to actually oh, wear wow. chemical suits and drive through bleach vats. So, you know, everybody said, hey, this is a once in a lifetime type thing. We couldn't eat beef for <laughs> over a year. And, and here I am yeah. 20 years later living yeah. through another uh, global pandemic, wow. pandemic in America. So, but how lucky your did question, you get? Look how lucky I know, you got I know. two pandemics. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's, uh, it's really, I kind of I use the term, it's been a, a series of fortunate events of how I ended up in franchising. But long story short, as I mentioned, I was in the Air Force, started my first business there. I really had a good time in the service, but I, I quickly realized that, you know, I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and I got out the service at, at, um, in 2005. Uh, I, at that time, I had purchased my first home, which led me into the real estate industry. I simply bought the very first house I ever saw back in 2003, and then, uh, then you could really close on a house start to finish in 10 days. So I kind of told myself, if real estate is this easy, I'm going to go ahead and get into real estate. It was the easiest money I've ever saw somebody make. So I got my real estate license 
at another opportune time, 2007, I got into real estate. Mm. So I, mm. uh, and, and to backtrack mm. my, my luck, I joined the military June of 2000. I got to my first duty station April 2001, and five months later, the planes hit the towers. Um, I got my real estate license in April of 2007, and the next year, uh, the real estate market crashes, right? So uh, I was uh, kind of used to turning, you know, lemons into lemonade, but that really created a flood of opportunity for me to grow a real estate investment company here in Dallas. Um, I grew that company by 2011 to about 200 agents, and we actually grew to be the eighth largest by transaction volume in the state of Texas. And that's how I won, you know, and made the cover of Realtor Magazine. I was in the Dallas Business Journal. And those were all good awards, but I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, I had my eyes set on bigger prizes. And I realized Gary Keller, the founder of Keller Williams, that same year I made the magazine, Keller Williams did 23,000 times the revenue that I did and had 500 times the agents. And I just mm-hmm. couldn't comprehend how he was that much smarter than me, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just, I thought at that point, Gary Keller had got his real estate license in all 50 states. I'm like, I'm willing to do that. I got my mortgage license, my insurance license. So finally, I reached out to Keller Williams and they sent me back franchising information. I said, hold on, why would they send me franchise information? I thought this was a real estate brokerage. Uh, That's when I came to realize every one of my competitors as a residential real estate broker were franchises, all of the major competitors, right? So it was Remax, Keller Williams, Coldwell Banker, Reology. I'm like, how is that? How does franchising work with residential real estate? It made no sense to me. So that piqued my interest. And, you know, sooner than later, I said, hey, look, I guess I have to become a franchise. Shortly after that, a company acquired my business, and that's what ultimately led to me winning the Forbes 30 Under 30. And then I found myself about six months after that partnering and joining United Franchise Group and helping to launch one of their brands. And I've now been in the industry for for nine years and have written two books on the subject. Mm -hmm. I I did see that you had written books. What is the name of, of the books, Jason? Um, so the book is, is very clearly titled, I'm a straightforward person, hopefully you'll see that through the call, called How to Franchise Your Business, How to Franchise uh-huh. Your Successful Business in, uh, in Four Phases. So um, that's available on Amazon, Audible, and if you just email me, I'll, I'll shoot you a free PDF copy. If you like it, please leave a review. If you don't, please let me know, and I'll try to make the next one better. Awesome. So when, when you were looking at this franchise model, um, what intrigued you about it? I, I see that, you know, Keller Williams does have franchises, and I don't know if it's just um, national or if it's international, but most real estate uh, realtors that you talk to, at one time or another, they have gone through Keller Williams. They also offer a great, um, not doing a commercial for Keller Williams, it's just that that's part of a good solid franchise model where they offer training, you know, really good solid training. Uh, They're known for that. So what is it that attracted you to the franchise model that made you say, Hey, I want to do more of that. That sounds really interesting. Well, you're right. And, And Keller Williams is a great company. And that is actually where I started my real estate journey through their training. So I'm forever grateful for that. And also I think Gary Keller himself is, uh, you know, a genius in his own right and has written some great books also, but, Really what I was doing is I was trying to expand, right, because I, I had already realized all the complexities I had trying to manage, you know, offices just here in Dallas. We were looking at opening up in Austin and Houston. So I saw the struggles of just trying to open up an office four hours away from me, three to four hours right. away. But I really couldn't comprehend how it would even be possible to open up an office in Los Angeles or Miami or New York. And then... I also started looking up all the complexities of getting the licenses, the real estate licenses in all of those states. And I quickly realized that, hey, I would have to actually go to all 50 states in America, take all the tests, which, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of fees, probably mm-hmm. several years, and literally 50 tests you have to take that are state mandated tests actually sitting in person. 
So I'm like, mm-hmm. none of that seemed like a logical method to grow, right? Like, so I, I honestly sat down and I was just literally looking at what are all my options to grow? Like, how do I do this? Like, how, how do I expand and become the next Kelly Williams? And that's when I really realized, and I still tell people to this day, and I talk about it in my book, probably for, and I like to use a number like 97%, you know, kind of give that 3% variable. What I came to quickly realize is about 97% of local, local retail, food, and service-based businesses, what I mean by that is, you know, they actually have a local person providing something from your plumbers to your electricians to all your fast casual restaurants to real estate agents to pest control. The only real logical way they have to expand is through franchising, right? When you really right. narrow it down, and that comes across very biased, but I've now talked with thousands of entrepreneurs, and when you look at what their options are, are you going to license this? Are you going to go public, which isn't really viable for most people? Do you have very wealthy friends or family that are going to fund you to grow? And even if you do, should you take that money? Um, You know, can you do this all on your own? Can you fund it yourself? Can you manage all the employees? So the truth is, is I very quickly just did deductive reasoning that there really wasn't another viable option for me to grow outside of franchising. And I I still Mm -hmm. feel that to this day here, almost 10 years later, you know, when I talk with people and I walk them through that process, um, they realize it too, right? And there's Mm -hmm. not very many viable options for expansion for a lot of those service retail and food-based businesses outside of franchising. And that's just, you know, what I've found to just be a, a universal truth almost. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with that, Jason. Tell us a little bit more about Venture X. Uh, I, again, I love the concept of the co-work space. They have really um, been embraced, especially during this particular time. Um, and I've seen pictures of some of your space, and oh, my goodness, that is gorgeous co-work i'd love to work in some of that space because that was that's beautiful so tell me a little bit more about venture x and what they're creating sure well we do have a location coming soon in houston but a, a little bit about venture x so venture x started in 2012 in naples florida right which you wouldn't really kind of consider to be a co-working hotspot per se so we very first location opened up in Naples, Florida, and was very successful there. Uh, four years later, uh, we met with the original owners of that location, and we started discussing options for expansion, the same way we do when we work through a lot of companies, because uh, VentureX is owned by United Franchise Group, which we own and operate nine other franchise concepts um, ourselves. So we really sat down and said, okay, what is the need in the flexible office space Back in 2015, 2016, uh, there were some great players in the space. You had your Regis's of the world that had been around for 20-plus years in flexible office space. Um, you had the WeWorks of the world that had really brought co-working to the forefront of the industry. Uh, I kind of compare WeWork to, let's say, Tesla. They made this industry really cool and hip and turned it from uh-huh. this friends type of thing to now you have Fortune 500 companies in flexible office space. So we right. said, where is our place in the market? Right, So we really looked at the hospitality industry um, as the leader in this kind of aspect, meaning most people clearly identify with three-star, four-star, and five-star hotels, right? So from our pictures, you can see, and our members and tenants and our owners would tell you, we pride ourselves in being that five-star office provider, right, in the sense that uh, some people prefer to stay at the Hampton Inn by Hilton or the Embassy Suites by Hilton. Some people prefer to stay at the Hilton, right? Some people uh-huh. prefer to stay at the courtyard by Marriott. Some people prefer to stay at the Marriott. Um, another uh-huh. aspect, some people prefer to stay at the W Hotel, which has this nightclub type of vibe and, um, you know, lively bar scene, and some people prefer the Four Seasons. So we decided to cater to that Four Seasons slash Hilton crowd where we had high-end furniture, larger desks, real leather in our lobbies. Almost all of my offices have floor-to-ceiling windows, and we wanted to be in more unique real estate uh, segments versus just traditional office space. So we have locations that have converted everything from a Mexican restaurant, historic mill, to an economic development zone, rebuilding a 1900s barn into a flexible 
high-end office space. So again, we really come into the marketplace as that high-end, five-star, flexible office space provider that we really thought there was a big market need for. Uh, But it doesn't always mean, you know, we're 10, 20, 30, 40% more expensive, right? Sometimes because Uh of the real estate deals we'll make, we may Uh be right on par with with those other Uh providers. Uh Well, especially now, Jason, because you see so much vacant um, retail space and office space that I would think now would be a perfect time to find a building, whether it's freestanding or whether it is part of a complex, that would be um, much more affordable um, so that you could stay within that range. Are you seeing that happening? Yes, and I'm still an active licensed real estate broker in three states. And I can tell you from having got my license in 2007 and lived through that first recession right there in 2008, there has absolutely not been a better time since then, 2008, to be looking at commercial real estate space than the right mm-hmm. now today. Um, so we right. had deals pending in January of this year that the landlord pretty much laughed us out of the room, right? And, and some of them verbally told us we were ruining our name and reputation and don't ever talk to them again. April, we were receiving emails. Uh, are you guys still interested in coming back to visit, right? So we started wow. to be able to make some of those deals happen. And we also have, you know, some big opportunities from everything between, you know, the large retail shopping centers that are losing some of these major acre tenants to even yep. shopping malls coming up as opportunities uh, to the end of this year and into 2021. So, so that has been one of the unforeseen, um, unforeseen benefits we've received through this pandemic. And with VentureX, you probably saw, you know, this is really not typically, like I said, a starter franchise. Our investment level puts us up the range of uh, many people that are looking for, let's say, just your traditional staple franchise opportunity. So you would think maybe we don't receive that many inbound leads. But I could tell you if we were on a Zoom, I'm proud of this number. I like to show it off. We've received 23,000 inbound inquiries uh, to purchase the VentureX. Uh, and, you know, 7,000 of those were face-to-face back when we were actually having the franchise shows and some of those uh-huh. some of those things as well. So we uh-huh. receive inquiries, 10, 15, 20 a day, um, and that right. number has not dropped. Um, we're actually right. seeing that number increase because of the new commercial real estate opportunities that exist. Absolutely. So it, tell me, if you can, kind of describe what does – the Venture X space look like? I know that you have um, the pictures, are, like I said, are just beautiful with the high-end leather furniture, but are there individual offices? Are there conferences, conference rooms? What kind of square footage is your target? Sure. So I'll give you some of the FDB statistics. So my average mm-hmm. square foot is right at 17,500 square feet. Uh, with my smallest being right at 80 and my biggest being right at 40,000 square feet. We do have a master license overseas that we're going to have a quarter million square foot space to come online soon here. But to give you an idea, to go, go back to that hospitality analogy, just kind of imagine, you know, when you walk into a major city or, you know, suburban market and you come into the lobby of a, of a brand new let's call it Hilton or Four Seasons Hotel, kind of that immediate experience you feel that you're just in a nice place you want to spend time at. You quickly see that this isn't your typical, let's call it, um, you know, three-star hotel business center, right? You immediately feel like, hey, this is someplace I want to sit down. I could spend some time. I'd be proud to meet clients in. Um, You just should immediately get that that feeling. We worked with some very high-end architects and we had Herman Miller Furniture and we brought in, you know, some of the biggest and best and brightest minds in the space to kind of curate uh, that, that space and area. So that's kind of when you first walk in the experience you're going to get. We have a signature yellow cafe wall that really just draws attention and brightens up the room. And if you take a look at like the I office out of a Dallas location, we have dead on views of downtown Dallas from this office. So, again, you just immediately feel, okay, this is a place I would like to spend time in. It's not this enclosed, walled-off, uh, kind of dark office space. So we make that very inviting. And then 
beyond that community space, you're just going to have very well lit uh, floor to ceiling windows in most exterior offices, private offices ranging from one person to my largest kind of group office is probably a 14 person office. Uh, but then you will have conference rooms with typically, again, high end furniture. A lot of these have views, whether it's downtown, trees. Uh, we have a location in Dallas overlooking the Cowboys Golf Course and Grapevine Lake. Um, we have another location in Utah that's literally mountain views for almost every single office in the entire space with a 40-foot tall, real living wall of uh, greenery and just a beautiful mm -hmm. lobby, hand-blown chandelier, uh, a solid granite, wood walls. I mean, just very high-end. Again, what you would expect to see almost if you're walking into a five-star or four-and-a-half-star hotel lobby and then going back into the room. You try to keep that consistent, professional, upscale amenity feel. Mm -hmm. So what you're describing to me, Jason, it makes me wonder, are you looking for franchisees that possibly did have some history in hospitality or um, executives? Who are you looking for? Um, who would be a perfect franchisee for VentureX? Sure, that's a great question, Linda. So about a third of my franchisees do come from the hospitality industry that are already uh, in the hotel business uh, for a couple of different reasons. A, they know and understand franchising because, as I'm sure you're aware, all of the hotels are franchises, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously they typically quali qualify for the financial investment uh, that we require. But again, they understand customer service. They understand the star analogy. Uh, most importantly, they have that customer service-oriented mindset of business. But that's one of you know the, the qualities we look for. The other thing is a flexible office space is very similar to a hotel business model. With a hotel, you're going to get a space, furnish it, and you rent it to people by the day, the week, or potentially long term. You have a you know a lobby a hostess desk and stand, conference room. So a lot of those things are very similar, but that's really where the similarities end because with a hotel, as you're aware of, there's a bathroom in every room. You need dozens, if not hundreds of employees to run that space, and they're open 24-7, 365, versus my offices need two to three employees to run. We're open, generally speaking, banker hours, um, Monday through Friday, right? So, and there's only one his and one hers bathrooms in the whole location. So, again, the hospitality owner would be high-level target number one uh, for our business model. So we sponsor all the hotel shows, and we're really well-connected into that side of the industry. The second would be your higher-level, C-level executives coming out of corporate America uh, looking for uh, this type of opportunity, meaning a higher level investment, but they don't want some of the complexities that other similar investments in our price range require. Again, we're Monday to Friday, nine to five, two to three employees um, versus if you look at all the, the large, the large format restaurants, the hotels, those require dozens, if not hundreds of employees to run at this similar price point. So we find a lot of people that are looking for this lifestyle type of business, but at that higher investment point and some, uh, and, and possibly let's just call it less man hours, literally speaking per day to, to run and operate. So if you're, if you're talking about people that are coming out of um, hospitality or coming out of corporate, um, they may not have the exact expertise that you need, what type of training do you provide your uh, new franchisees? Sure. And, and while before I jump on that subject, the other mm -hmm. third person we really have is existing multi-unit franchisees. We've had people, everything from, again, uh, you know, the hamburger world owning dozens of, of, you know, large hamburger chain franchises to owning dozens and hundreds of fitness franchises. So we have that hotel operator, the corporate executives and existing multi-unit franchisees have really been our target market. But um, to, to answer your, your follow-up question on our training, 
again, one of the good things about this business is if you eliminate all the buzzwords, and I hate to dumb it down, right, but, again, I'm, I'm a real estate broker. All we're talking about is subleasing commercial office space, right? So when right. you eliminate all the co-working, flexible offices, WeWorks, and kind of all the buzzwords, shared desk, hot desk, all the things that have been made up, again, when you really get down to the nitty-gritty, you're leasing a space, dividing that space, and subleasing it to people, right? So no different than if you're a single-family homeowner and you're renting your house out or if you're apartment complex. So we really show people the highest and best value, how to maximize the revenue potential inside the space. So we've brought on industry experts from a wide variety of other other opportunities with inside the flexible office space industry. And we provide an initial four-week training. Uh, one week of that is spent at our world headquarters in West Palm Beach. We have a 50,000-square-foot facility and a 100-seat training theater. Um, to, you know, looks just like a movie theater. So we do one week of in-house. We offer that, obviously, virtually as well now. Uh, but then we spend three weeks in separate segments at the location helping get that up and running. And we do that every month. So if, God forbid, you lose one of your community managers or coordinators and you have to hire somebody new, you don't have to stop. You simply plug them in to our next month's training, and we train that employee for you. Um, so we've spent a lot of time and energy consistently fine-tuning our software and technology. And as you know, it's always changing, always improving. Uh, so that's a constant work in progress uh, to help make the day-to-day operations of the business not so complicated. Um, our locations really just need to focus on uh, lead generation, which obviously we assist with through our website, touring those leads, sending out proposals, closing deals, and at that point, it's more of a property management type business that you're collecting rent and servicing those clients. And we assist just nonstop daily throughout that process to help fine tune and increase um, all those aspects. Mm-hmm. And who do you see is the perfect um, client that actually comes in and rents that space, leases that space? Do you see a change in the in the demographics of those that are that are looking at the co-working space? We do. So, so this has been one of the biggest changes really over the last five years. So there's an industry, uh, industry association called the Global Co-working Unconference did a survey back in 2018 that in 2015, only about a half a million people were in flexible office spaces. They pegged that number to grow again into the multiple, multiple millions now by 2020, and it vastly has surpassed that. But then Jones Lang LaSalle, one of the largest commercial real estate companies, did a future survey from 2020 looking out to 2030. So as you mentioned, right now today, there's millions of – that only takes up currently about 5% of the total office space industry. That number is pegged to grow to 30% of the total office space industry will be flexible by 2030. And to answer your question of who's making up that space, so it used to be back in 2007 when I started my real estate brokerage, the only people that went to flexible office spaces are those people that couldn't afford traditional office spaces. That was kind of the way the industry was looked at. That has Mm -hmm. completely changed. So think about flexible office space. If you fly into New York or L.A. or Houston, you get out the airport, and there's still a taxi line, but a lot of people that I know are going to jump into Uber, right? So you can look at one side and say, hey, they're the exact same thing, but if you've ever ridden in an Uber in New York and then got into a taxi in New York, you kind of realize that most people are going to say, I'm going to continue down the path of Uber, right? So we just simply put, Flexible office space is a better way to do something that's always existed for the last 100-plus years since commercial real estate has been around. So we're consistently seeing everybody coming into this space, where 10 years ago there was a target on these mom-and-pop website designers, tech people, but now Mm -hmm. you have the government, the U.S. government that's put out an RSP to get their people out of some of these big government buildings into flexible office spaces. You have all of your Fortune 500 companies that are realizing, hey, look, we're not getting much business having our name on the top of this downtown building. Why are we maintaining Uh this? Let's sell Uh this asset, 
and spread our people around the city where they live and don't worry mm-hmm. about furniture and utilities. So the truth mm-hmm. is it's everybody now at this point, right? So we have real life example. I work out of an office. My neighbor is a dermatologist, right? And he decided that he was just tired of being at home and just going to his office. My neighbor rented a one-person office here just to have some place to go and play his computer games. We also have, you know, large companies inside of the space. Uh, but then again, we're, we're targeting people that value that higher-end upscale environment. So the person mm-hmm. that would prefer to stay at the Hilton, again, versus the Embassy Suites by Hilton. So, again, we're seeing the entire industry shift now at this point. I know that's a generic answer, but that is really what's happening. This is an industry shift, not necessarily mm-hmm. just a sector where there's a few people. So that mm-hmm. 25% growth over the next 10 years, 20% of that is existing tenants coming out of their long-term leases, meaning your companies that have been in these two, five, and 10-year leases saying, I'm not going to sign another 10-year lease and you know, worry about renewing my utilities and updating my furniture and coffee providers and all these things. I'm just going to go into a flexible office space that already has all of this taken care of, taken care of for me and have one bill. So 20% right. of it is literally people coming out of existing. The other 5% mm-hmm. are the people that would never sign or don't need a long-term lease, continuing kind of that influx into flexible office space. My neighbor, that's a dermatologist per se. Mm-hmm. 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 I almost see uh, this co-working space as being a disruptor. It, it, just as Uber, just as Airbnb, those were disruptors that came into the industry and totally changed the way that we looked at the industry, the way that the industry operated, and the services that it provided. Do you kind of see it the same way? It is. It, it absolutely is. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that experience, it's hard to go back to any other way ever doing it before, right? So just like Uber, just like those things you mentioned, um, once it catches on, you know, again, I spend quite a bit of time every year in New York City, and you still have the people that stand out in the street and flag down taxis, right? And you kind of just think, why don't you just pull out your phone and call an Uber and wait for them to pick you up, right? It's that that exact same mentality and logic uh, is what applies today. Uh, You very rarely hear, you know, again, companies saying, you know what, I'm going to go lease, you know, three floors of this entire building, do $5 million in construction uh, over the next nine months, figure out all the furniture, set up all the utilities, get all the internet stuff set up, hire the cost provider, go hire, unless they absolutely have to, right? So there's companies that absolutely have to have that, right? That they need all that space and custom build out. But, 90 to 95% of most businesses no longer need that or want it. Right, right. Jason, we need to take a commercial break. Uh, When we come back, would you happen to have maybe a story or two that you could share with us about one of your locations, uh, one of your franchisees, or even some of your tenants? Maybe you can share a story with our listeners. Absolutely. Very good. Folks, we'll be right back after this commercial break with more from Jason Anderson with Venture X. House Talk Radio. Join Tony and Wendy Gambone on House Talk Radio, where they talk all things house. From tips on home repairs and remodeling to best practices on buying and selling a home, hiring contractors, home loans, and insurance, as well as decorating ideas and how to get the most bang for your buck. If you would like more information about House Talk Radio, go to housetalkradio.com. Do you know a family fighting cancer? The Jest Foundation nonprofit was founded right here in Katy, Texas, by cancer survivor Michelle Perzan, whose vision is to assist those currently fighting by providing grants to help support family needs, whether spiritually, emotionally, or financially. Michelle and her family know all too well that there comes a time when the day-to-day needs we take for granted become impossible. 
Just Foundation has been able to bless 100% of the applications submitted, and now they need your help. Find out more by going to JustFoundation.org. Are you dreaming of owning your own business but just don't know where to begin? The wait is now over. Linda Ballesteros is a catalyst to becoming a business owner through franchising. Whether you are looking to create a living that will allow you to leave corporate America, change your lifestyle, allowing you to enjoy the fun things in life, or if you're looking to build a legacy that will support your family for years to come. Contact Linda today to start the process of being your own boss. Linda at EmpowerFranchiseConsulting.com, 832-640-4922. Hey, folks, welcome back to All Things Franchising. We're talking about the co-working industry, co-working space industry, the flexible uh, space working industry. So when we broke for commercial break, Jason, I asked if you happen to have some stories you could share with us. Sure. So I'd like to start off with one of our tenant stories and somebody that came into our space who, uh, and we actually have this video as one of our member testimonials on our website on VentureX.com for those that would like to see it. This was a guy that worked in uh, a large Fortune 500 company as a high-level marketing executive, and he had that entrepreneurial bug, and he left and started his own marketing firm, and his company was growing, and he started off in one of the very traditional office space providers. Providers, um, He was in an office literally with four walls and a door, no windows, nothing in there, and he said he just felt very uninspired. It wasn't really a place he wanted to bring his clients to. Uh, so then he moved from that space into, again, another flexible office space provider that uh, had beer on tap and some of the other things happening. And he had a client there uh, come and they happened to have a party happening at that time. So not like a networking hmm. event. You know, he tells the story that this was literally a party. And believe it hmm. or not, some of, these, some of these flexible office space providers have things like skateboard parking or Nerf gun yep. walls where you could just start a Nerf gun fight during the middle of the day. Right, so he said he yeah. was there in the midst of this party with his client, and he just really realized that, hey, look, this isn't the environment uh, that I would I want to bring my clients into, and I don't want this to come across as a negative jab at them because I tell people, look, back in my 20s, I may have wanted that Nerf gun beer on tap mm-hmm. environment, right? So every every place has its place. At a time, I used to prefer the W Hotel over the Four Seasons. So in no way, shape, mm-hmm. or form, I'm trying to knock down the provider. But mm-hmm. he said, you know what, I, I know this isn't the place I want to be. Uh, and he ended up at a VentureX uh, here in Dallas, uh, my Plano location. Again, the, his actual own video testimonial he created is on our website. And he said he just immediately knew when he walked in uh, that this is where he wanted to be and where he wanted to bring his clients to. He said, he again, just immediately got the feeling that, you know, this is home. This is where I want to work from. Mm-hmm. This is where I want to grow my business. This is where I want to meet my clients. So mm-hmm. that's one tenant story. Mm-hmm. Um, a franchisee story would be one of my franchisees in the Carolinas that was a large multi-unit franchisee for another fitness brand, uh, originally got started with us by signing an area development agreement for close to seven locations. Uh, but then after he was getting up and running and ramping up and ready to open his first location, an opportunity came to actually buy three other existing flexible office spaces. So this was another brand that was already open uh, that, you know, wasn't having as much success as they hoped, and that owner was looking to sell. So my owner in his first year went from a seven-unit multi-development agreement to a 14-unit multi-development agreement and opened up four locations in less than nine months. And to give you an idea... My, my FDD numbers are 850 on the low end to 3.6 million on the high end, right? So we're not talking about small mom and pop retail stores. Right. This is an owner that I tell you essentially jumped all in and uh, he's been very successful and, and is now one of our best brand validators there in that marketplace and just has some very beautiful locations. We're able to come into those other ones, do a conversion immediately get those up and running and ramped up really quickly. So those are kind of two short stories, and we, we have kind of dozens more of similar tenant experiences of coming into the spaces. We actually highlight one member from one location every month on our VentureX.com blog, their business, how they found us, 
where they were at before uh, to continue to try to get those stories, listen to feedback, and constantly improve our space. That's nice. That is nice because it does get your tenants um, to feel more a part of something bigger than just their desk. You know, they're, yeah. they're part of the whole Venture X. It sounds like they're whole, a part of the whole Venture X concept. If somebody's listening mm-hmm. right now, Jason, and they, you've piqued their curiosity and they, they really um, find this intriguing. And folks, I tell you, the, um, as an entrepreneur, as small business owner, uh, I have seen this, this industry really expand in the last, gosh, Jason, I would even say in the last five years, there's been a yeah. huge explosion around this because what you were describing at one point was um, the Regis model. And again, I'm not bashing anything. It's just that that was the original model. And many of those offices felt like a closet. I've been into many of those offices and they felt very closed. And I don't think that is, that doesn't fit everyone's business style. It also doesn't fit their, everybody's client. Because you have to think about what your client would expect coming to your office. So uh, if somebody's listening, Jason, where, how would they find out more information about Jason um, Venture X and get a better idea? Sure. So there's, there's really two main entities that we have online. Uh, the first is just VentureX.com, and that is obviously completely focused on our locations, um, where they're at, amenities that they have, pictures, virtual tours of those locations. And from that, you could find a link there to our franchise information site, which is just very simply VentureXFranchise.com. And on that website, you can see a consolidated page with over about a dozen virtual tours, owner video testimonials, member testimonials. Uh, Some of our FDD information is obviously on there, Uh, investment level royalties, minimum requirements, all of your basic standard franchise information is there. Uh, Or simply email me at jasonadventurex.com. I tell people I'm never hesitant to put my my direct email out there. That's, you know, not some type of filter email. I, I respond, connect with me on LinkedIn, WhatsApp, however you prefer to communicate. So I, I try to make myself open and accessible for you know any and everybody that wants more information about the brand or concept. So VentureX.com for location information and VentureXFranchise.com for franchise information. Or truly, just shoot me an email at Jason at VentureX.com. Wonderful. Jason, we're down to those final three questions. The first one is, if there's someone listening, who's considering purchasing a franchise, what would you suggest they do to prepare for the process? Um, so there's great books. There's great resources. There, there's amazing franchise consultants out there like yourself that can help you through this process. And, and what I typically tell people, there's really a few main things you have to look at when you're considering opening up a franchise. I always like to tell people, you know, you have your philosophical things like your personality profile and stuff that you want to look at. But one of the things I find interesting to ask and go through people with is, you know, what do you see yourself wearing on a daily basis? And this may sound like an odd question, but, you know, over the last 10 years of of helping several hundred people in multiple different franchise brands and the ones that we own, I like this basic question because it's it's interesting how people respond. Just because you have a guy that's been a finance executive or a CPA uh, in an organization, he wore a suit and tie every single day, doesn't necessarily mean that's the entrepreneur he wants to be, right? Mm-hmm. So, because I've, I've had those people that, again, were this button-up, suit-and-tie CPA. That was a real person. But then when I followed him on Facebook, you know, he was with, you know, a Leonard Skinner shirt on with a 1970s souped-up Mustang. So this was the real person he wanted to be. So just because his background was this doesn't necessarily mean he was looking for a suit and tie type of business. And so the business right. he went into didn't necessarily match at first when you see, but it matched the person he saw himself being as an entrepreneur. So again, beyond some of those philosophical things, I think there's a few staple things you have to be able to say yes to 
before you seriously look at or invest in any franchise. Because mm-hmm. the truth is, as you know, Linda, any business you're looking to open, you could, A, do it on your own, you know, or possibly, you know, buy an existing business or join a franchise organization. So I think it's very important for people to know what their options are, just like how do you expand, franchising, licensing, in public. And when you're looking at a franchise, you should be able to say yes to a few things. A, for that upfront franchise fee, would you truly be able to replicate everything they're providing you if you did that on your own? And what mm-hmm. I found is that every franchise worth its way to answer is astoundingly no. You cannot replicate what we provide for our $60,000 franchise fee. Um, and in most brands, you know, from your Jersey Mike's, you can't replicate everything that they're doing. Now, you could build a website. You could get a logo on Fiverr. That's not a brand. You have no credibility, no consistency. I've never done it before. So that answer is astoundingly yes on the franchise fee. And then on the mm-hmm. back end, obviously, you have a royalty, right? So that royalty, you should ask yourself, if they're charging 6%, do you feel comfortable that going with that franchise, you're going to do 6 to 7 at least percent more revenue with them than you would have done on your own? Right, meaning uh-huh. if you join if you join McDonald's, just because you may be able to personally make a better burger on your grill than McDonald's, do you feel safe to say that becoming a McDonald's franchisee, you're going to do six percent more revenue than opening up Linda's Burgers? Right? right. So, if you feel comfortable with the fact that my upfront investment is a good use of my resources, I'm getting a lot of value for it, and I feel comfortable that hey, with these people partnering with me, this franchisor. I should do at least 7% more revenue, 6% more revenue, whatever that number is. Honestly, every other cost in the middle, you would probably have on your own, right? So if you want to open up a flexible office space, you have to open up a flexible office space, right? So you have to have furniture, you got to get a rent, you know, you got to do construction. So we're not burdening your cost in that middle. We're, as you know, most franchisors are saving you money from purchasing power, branding consistency. The third mm-hmm. thing is your marketing spend. You know, and so the final thing you got to look at, if you're one business owner, how much percentage of your revenue can you afford to spend on marketing versus the pooled marketing power of the marketing fee, right? So if you have a 2% marketing fee and you have 50 locations, that's 100% of your revenue, right? So if you have an average kind of revenue model in your business, right? So the Upfront franchise fee, you should be able to comfortably be able to say, hey, yes, this is a good value. The back-end royalty, do I see a value that I'm going to do X amount more business with this customer, which typically needs to be 6%. So we're talking on every $100,000 in revenue, do you feel comfortable the franchisor can help you do another six with them than you would have done on your own? And, again, on the back-end, do you see value in pooled marketing resources, purchasing power, the networking capacity of franchisees all vying for the same type of business. Other than that, everything right. else, every other expense, everything else you would have on your own. The last thing I put onto that as my additional, and again, obviously we may be biased when done franchising, but the other thing I tell people is let's say what's the best and worst case scenario after you buy a franchise. Best case is it's successful. You love the business. 10 years down the road, you decide, I loved it. I want to get out, sell this business, retire, right? Yep. And mm-hmm. if you were to open up that same exact business on your own, you know, let's just, you know, Linda's Postal Center, right, versus uh, a UPS store, per se, just as you see mm-hmm. brand. 10 years from now, if Linda's Postal Center was doing the exact same revenue and profit as UPS store, who's worth more money? It's always going to be the franchise brand because there's training. Always. And the truth yeah. is, if you lead Linda, somebody's going to walk and say, hey, where's Linda? Linda's gone. Yep. I don't want to do business yep. anymore. Right? Yep. So yep. the opposite side of that is 24 months from now, you absolutely hate the business. You hate it. You're not successful. You hate the industry. You hate being an entrepreneur. You just want to go back and get a job. Whose is still worth more if you hate it? The UPS store or Linda's Postal Center? Yep. Right? So yep. in the yep. best and worst case scenario, franchising hedges your risk because the UPS store is still the UPS store. 
right? It has value in the brand. Linda's Postal Center is a computer, some shelves. It's an asset sale. There's no value in the brand. So on both right. the positive and negative side, franchising to me should literally pay for itself. Yeah, definitely. Well, I tell you what, Jason, we're down to the end of the show, and I'd love for you to give out your contact information one more time for the listeners. Sure. So my email is jason at venturex.com. So that's very easy, J-A-S-O-N at venturex.com. I'm on LinkedIn at Jason R. Anderson. You can visit my personal website, which has all of my contact information and ways to reach out with me and all my social media profiles at my initials, which are jra.world. So email me directly at jason at venturex.com or again, find all my social links and profiles and booking links on my personal website, jra.world. Wonderful. Jason, thanks so much for being on the show today. I look forward to hearing when your Houston location is going to be opening. I would love to visit that. Definitely let you know. Wonderful. Again, Jason, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. So, folks, you know, the way we do business is changing. It's not right or wrong. It's just changing. Um, what we expect when we go to work, it's changing. Uh, the, the pandemic this last year has sped up some of those things. Uh, there were people out there that were working from home, but then we found a lot more people working from home. So their needs have changed. So I'm going to leave you with a quote. That quote is, the word co-working won't be a word in the future. It will probably just be the way we work. And that's about, that is exactly right because co-working is no longer going to be a, 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 a word. It's just the way we work. We co-work. Folks, thanks again for joining me on All Things Franchising. See you next time. Another great episode of All Things Franchising is now in the books. You can listen to past shows by following All Things Franchising on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for joining us today. And be sure not to miss us next time when we bring you a brand new episode of All Things Franchising.